So it, it was the uh, version four podcast. Is that right? I think so. That was the one we were uh, we're doing. And then just foraging. Yeah, yeah. I did mostly foraging. That was a um, that was a uniquely. and can't figure out where it sits, but... It was so weird because, like, the guy, the interviewer, just went... Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. it kind of wouldn't matter if I would just kind of, like, <laughs> talk. It was the first time I heard him talk about three netocracies. Mm. thought that was interesting. Like, we're... Per, per, seems like we're pretty much doing... Or we're engaged in the work of the third netocracy. And that was the... There was the... The first was the sort of like data collection and like being the being the platforms that um, that like amalgamate data, and the second was the um, like it hasn't really happened yet to any significant degree. The um, sort of the process of making sense of that data and actually like, improving the world through the um, like a through a innovative under like uh, I don't know what digestion of that of that that data and then the third was the was kind of the storytelling function around the around the data around the the, the network like the, um, that's like the, the philosophy and the um, sort of yeah like iterating and like, developing the story that we're telling ourselves about what we're doing which is another way he, that's how he's like described religion, is like the story man tells <coughs> to himself about himself. So there's like, yeah, the third sort of realm of metocracy is it seems very, very religious. Um, I hadn't heard him break it apart like that before. Those three map onto the symbolic, real, and imaginary, right? Is that the same, yeah. same three categories? Mm -hmm. I think so. <clears throat> I, kinda, I don't know why, at some level I was like, I don't know if this is even the, the best podcast to suggest, but I at least feel like all the other stuff was is kind of all related to more digital libido and stuff, which is in some ways really, in, really interesting and relevant, but I felt like it was important to at least give some backstory I felt like that, that mm -hmm. kind of gave some backstory. I'd be curious about kind of yeah, any foraging too. Like, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know if any people found it relevant at all. It was kind of a little bit of shot in the dark. I thought it was super helpful. Um, and interesting. Like, it was, yeah, he approached this subject matter from a unique angle. And, like, sort of a zoomed out at least to begin with, sort of a zoomed out approach, and usually he's just like in the like insanely granular. We've all been swimming in this soup for a while though, so I'm curious to hear from other people who yeah, not. We're 
less familiar with Bard 2. What you think? I'm afraid to say what I think about Bard. Say I'm it. just gonna listen. He wouldn't be afraid to say what he thinks about you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing I like about him, actually, is that aspect. Oh, really? What, uh, yeah, what are your... I thought I don't know, I'm gonna, I'm, uh, I'm unresolved, um, and I'm gonna trust the group and you guys, because I do trust <clears> you, I have high respect for what you're offering. He, uh, he hasn't grabbed me yet. The part that I actually like most about him are the offhanded things that he says that I like those grab me as most like in the podcast that we listen to he's like don't trust anybody that has a philosophy that doesn't include sex and I was just like <laughs> it's the, those kind of off the cuff like he's laughing and like making these bombastic statements and that's like these kind of like Oscar Wilde moments that really that I like a lot. I like his arrogance and his bombast but the the core of his what he's offering hasn't really grabbed me yet and I wonder there's like a huge like this is kind of ad hominem but he strikes me as like a, a person who's never suffered in his life if that makes any sense it's, it's like there's something um, like very um, pampered and privileged about him in the, priv in the sense that it's like he grew up in a social environment probably grew up in a social environment that was so unlike maybe our experience or my experience at least that I it's it's hard for me to connect with him just personally um, if that make does that at all ring true for anybody else no that he's never I mean I don't know how to how to how to assess that one or the other What's that? I don't know. I wouldn't know how to assess that, like whether he, how much he suffered or not. Yeah, it's it's just a, it's a feel. It's just a feeling. It's like it's like it's. Um, yeah, it, and, and it's it, it, yeah. That, maybe that's an unfair thing for me to say. Maybe that's a very Bardian thing for me to say. I don't know, but it's like as far as like the the. You know he. he for instance, he call it's like his he's influenced by he calls himself a Marxist, right? And I don't see that playing through in his philosophy at all. Like I don't see him applying like any Marxist theories or terminology to what he's offering as like an advancement on like what he calls what the third, fourth revolution, which I think is debatable too. What he says, what is it like? We started talking, we started writing. Press. Printing press, printing press, and then this. Um, I don't know about that, but <clears throat> so obviously I'm like I'm really unresolved on it. I'm probably more reacting to like I haven't like he hasn't struck me as like an earnest and sincere thinker yet for some reason. Mm. It has to do with like the suffering. I know that was a weird thing for me. To say. It's like mostly it's like I feel like well, he's not so much him, but I feel like maybe something. There was something in your experience that he's not accounting for. 
That's and that's what I'm wondering about is just like that's why I pose it as tr- as like maybe our situations are <clears> so <throat> different. I mean, he grew, he's he's Swedish, right? So he grew up in it's like I feel like I'm like I'm listening to the guy and I'm like he sounds like he, a person who's never done a day of work in his life, <laughs> you know. Ready. And it's like and there's nothing wrong with that. It's like I don't. It's like I don't need my intellectuals to like spring from like suffering in the working class, but it's hard for me to connect to. It seems very. I mean, he seems influenced by Deleuze and and post structuralism, but it's all. It doesn't. It doesn't sync with me. There doesn't seem to be. It's. It's like I can't quite get a grip on what he's offering yet. It's very. Pers- it's. It's like. I like descriptively. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I. I haven't. I just need to dig deeper and I need to listen to you guys so there's something missing for me I kind of get that about I look at it more like he seems to me the more I listen to him to like in which I respect that he doesn't pretend to care about things or people that he doesn't actually care about like that's more to me it's like whether or not he suffered like I don't know but it's like He's not interested in pretending like he cares or whatever, which I don't know if that's kind of what you're talking about or... The Marxism thing, like in one of the... Because I've been listening to different things and hearing him sort of say similar things in different ways now, and it's like... In one of the Sweeney versus... I keep wanting to say Todd episodes, (laughs) Sweeney versus Bard... This was like completely, I don't even know what to think about it, but it's like, you, somebody's probably familiar with like, he's saying that, so what's going to happen is that like, the netocracy or whatever is the proletariat or whatever, it hasn't actually formed yet, but what they're going to do is like, it's something like, it's again like a voluntary sort of throwing off of the shackles and like walking out of slavery, walking out of Egypt. And the individuals who choose to do this are like the Nietzschean Ubermenschen or whatever, mm-hmm. individually, but as a collective, they're the proletariat. Hmm. And I was like... <laughs> and so, like, I'm hearing stuff like this, and I'm like, that's... I don't know if that's true, but for me, like, listening to him more and more, it's like... He's like... And maybe the fu- part of the function he's playing is, like, trying to get people to think about things differently or whatever by saying, like... It's a pretty provocative statement, and, like, I don't... Again, I haven't sat with it long enough to know if it's true or not. It sounds cool, you know? I don't yeah. know. It's like, I never... But I would never put those two things together. So I was just like, whoa, it sounds... So I keep hearing more stuff like that the more I'm listening to him talk about this stuff. And, like... There is something, I think, to this new... And, like, the Deleuze stuff, like, I haven't actually read Deleuze. Like, I'm kind of familiar with the whole rhizome thing makes sense as far as, like, what this could look like as, like, collectives of people doing things, like... And, again, I don't even know Marx well enough to know if, like, this is a good kind of more radical, authentic reading of Marx that's not wrapped up in sort of, like, leftist politics that don't go anywhere. Like, I don't know enough about it to know whether or not it's, like... But the more I listen to it, the more I'm, like, I can appreciate kind of what he's doing and like what I thought of too and it's going too long but it's like you know the thing like because when I looked at him at first I was just like wanted to dismiss him I didn't like him for whatever reason so I started projecting th- it was like contempt prior to investigation so like, I didn't really want to hear what he had to say but the more I'm kind of listening I'm sort of like okay this is sort of like 
you know, I'm not familiar enough with, like, Hegelian dialectics to really... <laughs> I kind of think I'm getting, like, that's sort of what he seems to be trying to do, is actually, like, disrupt kind of traditional or sort of just, like, you know, regular thought patterns that haven't really led anywhere and to try to get people to, you know, think differently and mm -hmm. approach things in a different way. So I found it to be, like... Again, I, don't, I haven't... When I tend to, like, you know, new ideas come up, and especially, like, with the Internet, there's just so much stuff to watch. And, like, I get excited about almost anything when I first encounter it, and then it's, like, move on to something else. So, like, again, I don't know how this will hold up after a while, but, yeah. like, I'd be interested even, like, reading one of his books to see, like, get a little bit deeper into it. <clears throat> yeah, I, my experience of him has been, regardless of whether or not what he is predicting comes true or what how like how is how he relates different things that feel pretty dis disparate and kind of like ties them together whether or not that that uh, relation holds up like the the very fact that he's like relating things that you wouldn't think to relate like asks a question well if that's not true why is it not true and that's a even even if that just serves in the function of like you know forcing you to or suggesting like a falsification of that, that that claim like I think he's dealing with concepts that are and like um, phenomena that are like complex and important enough that they it gets you I don't know he, for, for me he's like served the role like getting me to think about these things at like a much deeper level than I was before encountering him so even if he's wrong like he's asking these like questions that that, that uh, or he's making these claims that that trigger like really like powerfully uh, I don't know just yeah pertinent questions um, yeah. I, I am yeah I'm also curious about that that sort of instinct that um, yeah so I, they, like whether or not he has he's <laughs> I withdraw that comment. No, but no, no, like, no, no. It was that, a feeling I had. Yeah, no, that. sure. No, that, 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 that's like a stab at, at like kind of it was like at characterizing a response you've had in, to him, and I think that I mean that response is really interesting because it like I think like Jonathan said it it suggests there's there's something about his uh, like it's something he's not accounting for, um, and and if, is that the the sort of like the the suffering of the, um, uh, I mean, yeah, like the suffering of average, regular people. Do you um, want me to do, like? Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, more I formulate. It's like no, no, no. It wasn't. It wasn't necessarily like trying to um, account for vic Like he wasn't accounting for victims or a class. Um, more that it was more like I just like in. In terms of him, he fe mm -hmm. he feels like he feels more academic mm -hmm. than the other people we've listened to so far, mm -hmm. and therefore, for some reason, he triggers a response in me as like you're at you know, I don't he doesn't need to be right. I I agree with you. I love seeing ideas collide. They don't you know it's just it's more interesting where they go than whether they're pre like completely predictive. But there's something I still just don't. Mm -hmm trust about him there's something missing mm -hmm. like he's yeah I can't quite put my finger on it mm -hmm. yeah I just 
But I, I appreciate what you said because it's like I, I mean, there's a lot that I value in what I've heard so far, which is like what you know. I'm resistant to technology and the mm-hmm. digital libido. I'm, I'm old. Like I might be the like the holdout here. That you know, <laughs> as far as just like it seems like a catastrophe to me. And I know that there's thinkers that are like that. It's like I know I'm wrong in a lot of ways. Like it's like calling the printing press a catastrophe, right? In a sense, so. But I'm still. There's just something I'm pushing back on. Like there's something missing from like putting so much primacy in, <coughs> um, the, in a mode of communication rather than like the meanings and mm-hmm. the relations that it's creating. Yeah, well, I, I think that that instinct is, is really, it's really a yeah. I think that's a super valuable instinct. I mean, if we were all just. That instinct is a powerful contribution to like this conversation. Well, it's similar to how I felt last week when we were talking about his birth. It's like, okay, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> so it, I don't know if that's a similar response, but there's like there's just like something missing there that didn't feel like he had a place to speak on it. Or even a person, not a place to speak on it, because he can talk about whatever he wants, but it just didn't, I didn't connect what he was connecting in a way that was satisfying for his argument to make sense. Maybe it's not the same thing that you're talking about. No, it's, I think it's similar. Yeah, that's my experience, but so I've listened, I listened to one that you were going to listen to, and I've listened to three. I sort of half listened to the earlier lecture one. I was doing something else, so I didn't catch it all. I'm going to go back and revisit it because by far that one was the most helpful for me in sort of understanding some of the foundational stuff of where he was coming from. But yeah, I don't know what it is, and I'm really, 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 really curious about what it is that I find hollow, for lack of a better way of putting it, with some of what, it's not the ideas, because I find the ideas fascinating, but there's something, and I've been thinking about all week long about what is it that I'm reacting to, and I think I got a little bit closer to it today, and that there's an element of, um, It'll be hard for me to, like, I I haven't fully formed this yet, but it's something along the lines of that he's very, like, human-centered. Like, there's a denial of, there seems to be this denial of other intelligences outside of sort of this, and and I could be wrong, and that could just be because I've had very little exposure, but that's... Like when he was talking about the, the ecotopia, and he was talking about sort of genetically modified foods. I mean, his arguments sound, takes less land to grow them. He's talking about desalinization, he's talking about those things, but there was this element of like, there's an intelligence in nature that you're not accounting for, and you're completely disregarding the value of. And it's, 
and it's like that. I don't know, I can't say much more about it, but that was sort of what hit me earlier. It's like, yeah, there's this very human-centered, like we are the masters of the universe and we will create and subdue and submit everything in our realm to our betterment, you know? And like, we don't really have to sacrifice anything to, um, to live in harmony. It's sort of the sense that I get in a lot of ways. Um, and, and those that can hack it will hack it, and those that can't, oh well. And I could be, again, it's like, I'm going to continue to listen to him, but that was sort of, because I'm chewing like, what is it that bothers me so greatly about, that feels really like something really significant is missing. Um, and I, that, that could be part of it, it could be more of it. But I like his ideas, like I find them fascinating, and I find them very interesting, and I find myself considering things in a different way, so it's working in that regard. Yeah, it's, it seems like it's a continuation, like what you were saying reminds me of like, um, what is it from the Bible that like God, the world was created for man, man has dominion over nature or something like that and it's uh, yeah I really appreciate what you're saying about like <clears throat> it's denying this other form of intelligence and also I think denying to some degree I mean you know there's a balance between um, welcoming or um, being open to, te to technology, but then also to recognize that there's a dark side of it or the ways that it can be applied and be harmful. Like, there's so many things we've done where we're like, oh, the environment is messed up in this way. If we introduce this thing, it will fix the problem. And then, poof, we've got a whole new problem, and it's actually much worse. That happens all the time. That happens quite frequently. Um, and so there's there's somewhat of a... My sense of, of him somewhat is that there's kind of this... It's utopian a little bit. Yeah maybe not even a little bit, um, of like, oh, there's this going to be this whole new paradigm, and somehow everybody's going to be able to be involved, uh, or have the, you know, ultimately have the uh, access to be involved, the capacity to be involved, and it's going to fix all of our problems, and um, if we just can use technology more and more efficiently, and it just is denying that there are actually problems with technology or that are potentially that our species isn't advanced enough. Like, we haven't evolved enough. We, our, our technology has evolved much more quickly than we have. Yeah, we're not mature enough. Right. And <laughs> so, like, let's, let's be real about that and recognize that there's some limitations as to how we can hold that in a safe way in our, in our planet. And so what you're talking about with... Um, seeing the intelligence of nature and how does the natural world like to just say, oh, we can just keep growing because we can make food more efficiently instead of going like, isn't, isn't there a way to introduce also some balance and some like reducing and some withholding, some limitation, you know, like not just, yeah, you know, not just going like, we can just do bigger, better all the time, you know, it just feels like it's more of that somewhat. I'm not saying it's just that, but I'm, I'm definitely picking up on some of that. Yeah, and that's another piece that I sort of 
I haven't flushed this out either, but there's this sense that I have of And this, he did touch on this, like, sort of when he talked about the eventology versus eschatology, and it's like, oh, well, I might be an eschatologist in the sense that I sort of think that <laughs> there has to be an end for a new beginning, you know, like, but, um, yeah, it's sort of like, how do we keep the current structure and the current path that we've gone down going versus, like, game a like, the other thinkers are talking about a completely different game. He's talking about how do we make the game that we're playing more efficient, and, and is the sense that I got. And so, does he does he talk about efficiency? I haven't. Well, I haven't encountered. I don't remember encountering. That. I, I that's my word mm -hmm. in the sense of like. Yeah, that's my word. He might use that term with algorithms. They need to become more efficient. I don't know if that's the word he'd use, though. They need to at least become... More intelligent. Cleaner? Yeah. Sure. Um. <clears throat> Do you get the sense that he taught that he has, like, has a, a posture towards technology, like, like just as a, as a whole kind of concept? Like, there's... Seems to, my under, my my reading of him has been that he's he he focuses on um, not like all technology but like some specific tech, technologies as a as potential mm, well as potential um, directions of hope. It's been more my reading of him, not so much that he's invested in continuing, like, game A, um, but there are, like, we're, we're in a pretty dire situation, and and uh, we need to figure out how we're going to expect how we're going to survive. Um, And he does. He does propose technological solutions, but I don't think he. I don't know. I don't get the sense that he's a. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it seems like there's a difference between what he's uh, he's proposing between um, technological like utopia. I don't know. Like. We call it utopia. Brave new world. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I think he's. Um, yeah, I know. He would call it ecotopia, and so I, I don't think it's a... I don't know. He has a different relationship to technology than, like, most utopians, or most people who propose utopic vision do, that leverages technology in some way. Yeah, I get the sense that he thinks that we're going to have technology <clears throat> solve the climate crisis, that we're in population, feeding people, like, that's the sense I got from the video. But particularly AI. Right. Well, AI is going to be the new god. Was the sort of um, which I also have tons of questions about that because I don't really. So, can I ask those right now? Yeah. Um. So I don't. I sort of like in a very general way understand how AI is is being formed and developed. And so, my understanding is is that these. Um, advanced AI 
the they're gather so they start with a program, but then they gain intelligence through um, data mining. Like they get just inundated with a bunch of data via whatever we're doing out in the world, whether we're talking with one another. Like they're they're getting sort of given all this data and they're chewing that up and in a sense that's informing their intelligence it's helping them to see how we think and how we make decisions and sort of am i is that accurate yeah like something simple that we probably well anybody who works in an office probably does is when you send out emails you can look and see how many people open the, the email that's mm-hmm. a some form of artificial intelligence it's feeding that, that statistic back to you and therefore and there's always like lots of lots of email programs uh, are going to uh, encourage that you do like an email A and email B to see kind of which one people open up more and that's again this influence of AI feeding us information that we assume is useful and therefore more people open up email A rather than B based on the sample email A is presumably a more intriguing or for whatever reason that's the email to go with or talk about how many clicks I mean I think that's like a very low threshold level yes. of AI but like the higher functioning AI, like what he's talking about, this AI that will sort of like take our world's problems, run it through the computer and sort of feed us back the most optimized solution. Like that's being formed by just huge amounts of data, right? Being compiled into like it's just eating the data and sort of gaining um, information and knowledge that it processes at a rate like like a billion times faster than we can, which is part of the appeal of it. Is that, I mean, is that sort of accurate? When it, my understanding, we're not quite there yet, but like that's where it's going. Is that fairly accurate? I, I would. I don't. If he does talk about that, I block it out. Just like a shield. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I can't think of him ever, ever. And maybe it's also just the influence of Jonathan talking about like personal algorithms. And so the things that I hear him referencing, or that I at least I'm paying attention to, and maybe and maybe in some ways like we could be excited about, is something like when I when I open up Google Maps to look for for dinner, and I type in like Mexican food, uh, and I see like 50 places around me, I still have to pick one. And yeah. and for him, it's like, well, why can't AI actually apply itself intelligently to me by paying attention to the kinds of places that I like going? or maybe the kinds of places me and my friends like going. Like, it should be smart enough to recognize me, who my friends are, and know that I'm going to like the like one of these three places, not 50 places. Make it better for me, and, uh, yeah. And um, I had a huge objection to that, actually. Go for it. Where's failure? Where's, where, where's your, like realm of discovery to walk through and find and like when he's if he's like just hey fuck all this selling to me and all this like giving me so much information give me the top choices for my weekend Uh and i'm like do we really want that i mean that is brave new world right that's like we know exactly what you want exactly what you need and it may play to my taste you know it's like if i like the velvet underground television is going to come up and like you know it's like but but is that like my own personal experience is like I miss pre-internet um, having to do the my work to discover things by word of mouth by like you know like seeking out the information by failing you know by like finding out for myself what's good and what's not um, eventually you would it's get like sophisticated the, enough to to like to fold your own heuristic in like like you would get sophisticated enough to anticipate you saying that 
yeah, that, like, and that yeah, it's like yeah, that's yeah. that's like that's what scares me about the about the whole thing about algorithms is like I don't want to be fucking consistently pleased. I want to go to a restaurant that's like that sucked. We really took a risk on that one, but you know, it's like I'll never go back there again. It's like that if that's could missing, that be folded into the batter? <laughs> into the what? <laughs> into the batter? Like in, in that very like there's oh, something Jesus about Christ. something about that that's inherently like valuable. He knows you're gonna hate it, and he knows he knows you want to hate one out of every five restaurants you visit. So now we're farming out totals. This is what I am talking about the. We're, we're, cat, we're actually this is like goes right back and it's like this helps articulate one of my problems with him is like he's 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 walking a tight wire between like okay technology mm. is where we're at the digital age is where we're at and then like this triumphalist like kind of hipster intellectual like every like these yeah um like like there's a, there's a celebration of like something that terrifies me in what it's going to do to the human spirit. And that's what I meant by the suffering. It's like, and I don't like, I'm not, I don't mean it as a judgment or a criticism. It's just like, it seems like there's, there's a denial of people's, uh, like you learn from falling on your face and from failing and you, we fail as often as we succeed. And it's like to be fed the out, to be fed an algorithm of like, well, you're going to like this book. You're going to like this book. If you like this book, it's like, even beyond the idea of like that puts us down a rabbit hole and excludes other things, it just excludes our own experience and our ability to like, like skin our knees, and and I think that's as valuable as having access to the right shit all the you know all the time catered to catered to what as accurate as it may be. I don't think the accuracy matters actually. Of like it may be completely right knowing what I want, but it's like. But that doesn't, and that doesn't, what creates an Ubermensch? Getting what you want all the time or struggling? That's the other thing. It's That's like, if you have a couple generations of this, it's like you're going to have those people, what is it, the time machine? They just sit around all day and they get eaten up by the, <laughs> those blonde, beautiful people who can't even get up. They just like sit there and they don't do anything. It's like, how would you, that's kind of what I didn't get about his thing was like, especially with the, tw- his, like his opinion on Twitter it's like it seems like the way to develop your personality is like to get rejected not to like have Twitter where you don't have to get rejected so it's like again enough of that and it's like you're not going to have strong people which you would need to build this kind of society in the first it's like I don't understand how you could keep that going if you don't have just from his own point of view the kind of struggle that creates the kind of people who he says are necessary to form groups to like get us out of this mess and what I worry about in a weird sense is that we'll exaggerate the contempt we already have for failure and people who fail and the poor and the people on the outside is like, how is this not working for you? You is, know, is that part of kind of what he, what kind of came up for you was just that inability to kind of honor failure? Yeah, yeah, and like the messiness of there's there's a disconnect for him. It's like it seems. And it's like I read it in his personality when it speaks to me too. Is like I, it's like I don't dis, I don't like um, object to the joy and playfulness of him. But it's like there's something that's like that seems inherently missing or excluded from like the messiness of of becoming and and like growth. <laughs> that it takes a lot for it takes 
like his foundation myths, like the childbirth one, it's like those are those seem to me like retroactive in his thinking. Like it's like I it's like the Freud, like I love his take on Freud, the death the death impulse and the life impulse. It's like I feel those, but it's like there's something too abstract about it in like in and his his need to like make it felt and real is to like rely on on this mythology of like we all want to climb back in the womb or it's like that's what I meant by it's like I it it doesn't feel like he's like suffered I, that's a rude thing to say I can't speak to somebody else's experiences but I'm just I just throw that out there as a response and is the suffering that's valuable yeah what's the valuable part of suffering for you that you're afraid to get lost um, because nobody else can tell me what my own ignorance is I need to discover it for myself and it's like it's a constant like breaking down of like you know it's like suffering leads to compassion like inevitably empathy, no. like they're they're essential it's essential for those things like that's it's an essential part of being human. So if you eliminate it, like, yeah, you eliminate those qualities and interactions, and then you also, yeah, I mean, it just seems like it's, and, and maybe this is totally wrong, but it's just like every tradition that I've ever encountered sort of has this underlying idea that, like, we suffer because we're human and we're constantly bombarded by our limitations. I don't know. It's, and I know that I sought to, I sought to not suffer, and I had a hell of a life. Like it sucked. I mean, that was the entire goal, which kind of aligns with what he talks about, like that idea of just wanting that it's the. I just want to die, right? Because I don't want to be here. I don't want to be part of this. So I'm gonna try to try to. Sorry, I don't. Go ahead. Do you, were you going yeah, still? I yeah. didn't. No, I wasn't. You sure? Yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. I thought maybe you were trailing off and then you kind of came back yeah, and I was no, like, oh, no, I, was, I do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to. So there's, there's a couple ways to think about it. Uh, and you particularly have to correct me because I'm just going to. I don't know my bard well enough. Um, but I'm going to try to defend him for a moment and see if it works and just to play off the, the concerns you guys have. recording this. Mm-hmm. He's going to defend. I know. <laughs> Uh, well, no, I don't know if this is even defensible, but I, I'm just I'm just playing with the things right now. Um, so I think the the first step to understand Bard, or at least that I, that has helped me, is that he's not proposing something based on any kind of ought. And so the idea of like a sort of social constructionism, so the is ought sort of distinction. Um, I the the first way for me to connect to him is that he's describing what he what he thinks just is. So whether you like it or not, mm-hmm. algorithms are here to try to improve your experience. Um, and, and so I think he's starting with that basis of it's not like he's proposing, oh, we should c- come up with these algorithms. And then he's, he says they're already here. And they're more or less just going to get better. But rather than getting better in a social constructionist way, like, oh, let's fabricate an existence where people don't suffer, I think he's saying it needs to be a little more dialectical than that and take into concerns of the individual. For instance, you might want to have a shitty experience every now and then or... Uh, in the same way that a, I think a loving parent would not, you know, there's a helicopter parent who doesn't let their, their child um, kind of get away with anything, 
Uh, I remember being with a friend, and he he let his kid. We were walking through a through a construction site near his house, and his kid wasn't old enough. To, the the bike was one of those like kick bikes the kids have, so he might have been two or three. And he let him go up like a thirty foot hill, like a big construction pile of dirt. And I was like, Oh my god, are you serious? You're gonna let your kid up there? He's gonna like kill himself. Um, and he was like, No, he'll figure it out. And he totally did. He got up there and he was like, Oh, holy shit, this is like scarier than I thought. I mean, the kid's like two or three. Nonetheless, he still tried it. Um, and he threw he like threw his bike halfway down and got off and was fine. But I'm, I mean, I, I think there's this idea of like a, in the same way that a loving parent can can put you at risk and allow you to fail and suffer. He's he's hoping that AI will also get that same kind of dialectical uh, mm. component added to it. Where right now the social constructionists are trying to provide it on like a, I think on like a utopic vision, and I think he wants to be a, he wants it to be a little more dialectical with human needs. Um, so rather than like zero friction consumerism, yeah, like something else. Yeah, right? yeah. I don't know how far that that takes it for you guys, but I just I, I just wanted to throw that out. And I and I don't yeah again I don't think it's it's also postulated on here's a perfect vision if only we could pull it off. I think he says I mean his idea is it's coming. It's already here. He's right. been, I mean he calls himself a future. Does he call himself a futurologist? Yeah. Or do you just call him? yeah, he calls himself a futurologist. I think the idea is like let's. To do something slightly different. He's trying to change the conversation yeah. around what what that is. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how useful that is. It, it is interesting to think about suffering. I mean, as you you guys mentioned this, I was thinking that the flip side of all world religions, for the most part, as far as I know, um, at a kind of very simplistic level, have suffering as like the basic like ground zero. Evil exists. Suffering exists. How do we respond to evil mm-hmm. and suffering? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like <coughs> a challenge to all of religion and, and probably all philosophy is like you have to kind of confront evil at some, yeah. at some level or suffering um, and I don't know that he wants to out yeah 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 that's where it gets tricky you might be onto something where he is he is I mean anybody who says he's reading Kant by five and Hegel at six he clearly had like a cushioned life if, if that was like his childhood I don't know if it's five maybe it was eight but I think he says you need to be reading Hegel by eight um, or else you'll never be a philosopher so good luck Huh. Yeah, that's useful. Thanks. Yeah, I don't. So the part that's confusing for me, okay, so I get the sort of like personalized use of AI, like that. That's happening all the time. I mean, that's happening in the YouTube videos that we want. Like, I understand that that's happening all the time. But the piece that is confusing to me is this sort of idea, and I could just not be getting what he's talking about but when he's talking about using like artificial intelligence becoming God in a sense and sort of dictating the best course for humanity forward that's the part where I get really confused as to sort of the. I'll just tell you what my confusion is it's based on my understanding of how AI works Essentially, it's going to think in a very human way because that's the intelligence that it's being fed. And it's like our thinking got us here. And so how can our thinking on steroids move us? It's that question of can we solve a problem at the same level of thinking that it was created? And I don't know. I mean, that's just sort of like my... The thing that's nagging like nagged me about that idea. But isn't it that like our thinking that's developed ethical systems that work if people actually did them? 
that's come from thinking like that's not the problem is that like somehow we can't you know uh harmonize parts of ourselves that would allow us to get along with each other in a way that would actually like make those things work so maybe like from what Walter was just saying and that's kind of this kind of idea I'm starting to get from what he's saying about AI is that that could somehow like help us or we could offload some of this kind of bullshit that we don't know how to like do now somehow and that like it would free up you know, this kind of energy that we waste on, like, self-deception and these kinds of, like, negative emotions, and that that's the sort of, like, I don't know, I mean, something like that. That would create some kind of, like, critical mass or some kind of, like, escape velocity or something, I don't know if these are, like, the right terms to use, to, like, get out of this thing right now that we can't actually see out of because, like, we're too wrapped up in it because of these, like, you know ways we have of interacting and looking at the world which aren't optimal because I don't know because the ethical systems are there it's like they should work right I don't know, maybe not. The, so the machine learning that's like happening now and has been happening for a long time the kind that that is like starts populating our, our YouTube feeds and our Google searches like that's that's a highly polluted data ecology like it's it's um, they're taking the data, but then they're just le- leveraging the information they have about you towards, uh, like... Selling you shit. Yeah, towards, like, <laughs> like funneling you into the market, or fun- funneling the market towards you. Um, and and I think Bard sees that as a... As, I mean, it's, a, it's a already dead. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, it's worth... Um, and, man, like, the... Has anybody, have you, has anybody read Diamond Age by Neil Stevenson? That was that was a really there was yeah there's in this book there's a um, there's like this this uh, no it's like there's this this like this uh, like nanotechnology book that this that this uh, this like brilliant inventor invented for his granddaughter um, to help her kind of like become sort of this this like highly educated like rebel like he was he was kind of like mischievous and he was like wanted her his granddaughter to like buck the system. And that he like helped build, um, but then it falls into the hands of this uh, this like this poor girl who like has abusive parents, and, um, and, she, and she like starts like reading like open she opens up this book and it starts it's like this this machine learning curriculum that kind of gets to know her and then feeds her exact like exactly what she needs next to um, to become like for the next stage in her do- development and it's not trying to channel her towards like being like a good it's not it's not an ideological proposition like it's it's dialectically responding to her and and it becomes this highly adaptive or highly adapted and adaptive curriculum for her that is is centered around like her like her her who's it's its aim is her highest potential and so you like if ai performed the function of a um not like a a, a didact that that was like really skillfully manipulating you into a like some some kind of market direction, but was like it had at its like heart or like at its core, um, like the the personal development and like thriving of the individual with whom it was like dialectically engaged, like how, like how something like that seems like the use case for AI that he's imagining, okay. and something like that would you know like you could. You could, you would like fold in these like eth- not just ethical systems, but there's this like 
like potentially even fold in, yeah, uh, like stories and mythos and and um, yeah, I don't know, it's like highly highly fanciful. This this book was like a really beautiful rendering of like what that could potentially look like, um, and that is like the same. Just finished Dune. Yeah, it's really totally worth it. Like especially. I read it several years ago, and, um, and uh, I want to read it again now. Like, but is it naive to say, and it, it's okay if it is, maybe it is. <laughs> you know, what about what you can learn by immersing yourself in nature? What about you can learn from going into the cave and the mountain and meditating? And, uh, and then also from each other, from other, from human connection, you know, is... You know, is this forsaking that um, the entire evolution of of humanity and the planet um, in exchange for technology, um, and that that's going to replace somehow our our my highest potential is going to come from AI rather than um, my connection to the land and to each, each other those things like a it seems like a properly caliber well part of the issue is like there's this like this pandora's box is open and and we're we're uh, like like there's no there's no like turning back the clock so it's not like you just need to like well i guess we just like become i don't know total totally industrialized and like totally completely dependent on te- technology now because what other choice do we have like there's i think there's a way of i don't know i mean Leveraging, I don't know. Yeah, this is, I think. I think my my response to that in you know, along, choose along, either or. along the line is like either. along the same lines I was thinking before was like you would take the AI, the AI, the AI, the AI would like su- not just suggest you, but it would like steer you towards like, like people and steer you towards nature. Um, like maybe you might not even realize that's what you want, what you're wanting and craving. Um, but like the, the AI, like steering you towards and other people's AIs are like steering them towards like the same place, and there's like a, 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 a yeah. it's it's getting it's just, like descending into like pretty like wacky territory. But, <laughs> um, I think I don't know something along those lines seems more what like Bard is imagining could be a a advantageous place to take artificial intelligence um, and an art like a pretty potentially beneficial use use case and and uh, yeah, I don't know um, he would imagine that a lot of people would take AI in the way that you're afraid of though right and he's just I mean that's what the com- commentarians yeah, I think yeah. is that maybe that's super yeah no you introduce it you're again this is your, your turf so I go well I, I, I want to yeah, I want to connect two things that were said. One uh, was kind of a point you made about the is bot thing, that he's like primarily discussing what he thinks is just going on, and how in particular new that, that like paradigm, the communication technology, how that kind of shifts things. And that's a retroactive interpretation of history. Like, um, so he doesn't, he's like thinking in light of our current. We can now look back and re-articulate and narrate things differently um, to serve the purposes of making sense. <coughs> but he, so 
the communication technology has arrived, and he thinks it's changing, and it's not a bot, it's a hiccups, um, and that's changing the power landscape in such a way that it's reducing a kind of, um, uh, and this is where the Marx component comes in, I think, and this is a, it's such a good question, like, how is this Marxist at all? Um, and, and I'll tell you kind of where I'm thinking with that, about it, but I, I'm told this is like a tentative, um, is that this new, this new landscape in light of communication technology has allowed new, uh, it's kind of a new fitness landscape. There's new possibilities that are going to be realized by some people and not others. And, the, and it's creating a dynamic where people who were maybe like super rich capitalists are having to like, are at the mercy of like a YouTuber to make their product popular. Like all the capital in the world like is still kind of limited by attention. Like it can't buy attention the way that it used to be able to buy attention when it was like commercials on TV. Right? Commercials on TV you could just I'm gonna buy fifty commercials and not everyone will watch it fifty times, you know. And because what else are they gonna watch? And now it's like, well, which like there's there's just some dynamics changed now. And I think he is going so forget YouTubers, I think they're they're passe at this point. But I think what he's saying is that the, there's an avant-garde, which is kind of like the proletariat. This mm-hmm. goes back to your point. Um, that there's this group of people that will have figured out something about this new technology and how it changes things in such a way that they are gaining a kind of power that was that kind of overlapping with, but it's it's kind of competing with the older structures, which creates a new class phenomenon. So it's both the proletariat kind of of a... It's like the proletariat in as much as it's like exodus by people who are not at the center of power to a position of power within a new kind of system. But it's also going to generate... This new system's going to generate underclass which are going to be the vast majority of people. And it's not an ought. Like it's, it's, he's just saying this is going to be, a, it seems like it's going to be a is. And it's going to be consuming media on other people's terms. Like just kind of consuming and having maybe a frictionless consumerist experience where, you, where your selection is kind of like YouTube um, at its worst, like trending on YouTube. That's where I'm going to pull from. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's important because he's gonna he's kind of asking the question as a futurologist he's kind of going like what are the people that I think have figured out how to do this technology in a way that actually kind of is a is is kind of where the life is where we're like the people not the consumptaria but who's kind of doing this right in a way that actually helps them live to the fullest. Um, and he'll, um, so he starts exploring, I think, like global nomads and, and this network group of people, Burning Man, like, he's just kind of curious about these network phenomena of a group of people 
that are essentially like an ubermensch as a people. Um, and that what they will do in principle will be an upper class phenomena within a new structure. But ideally, to the degree that it at all can be accessible, will make something possible for other people as well. So I said a lot there, but I, I, the only thing I really want to highlight is that the vast majority of people are going to be consuming, having the sort of nightmarish experiences with algorithms and be exploited, consume under other people's terms, be out of touch with nature, be just, they're going to be batteries, essentially. And the people who are in those who are doing networks right and have figured out how to be human in that in a way that actually generates more experience, not less experience, uh, and possibly more wisdom rather than less wisdom, that those people are going to be informed by one another and if they utilize algorithms, will utilize algorithms in the future most likely in a way that will bring them things like nature or psychedelic experiences. And I want to put in psychedelic experiences like one of those things that can't be captured by AI, but Bard seems to be into, as an example of the way that it's not a hermetically sealed virtual space that kind of opens out into experiences that are beyond the virtual. Yeah. Touched on a few different things there. But. Yeah, it spoke to me. Um, those the new so there's a destabilizing power pro, you call it a proletariat coming in um, there's still also old power right in the like Max Weber sense of power is the monopoly on the means of violence so we're seeing that collide right yeah. now right yeah. so here's the thing in the middle of that is okay so we have let's like take an example we have streamers out there like holding this up to show to people and that's destabilizing the power but power hasn't stopped what it's doing because people don't have a sense making mechanism and they can just completely deny it right so it's like so it's almost like these two things are happening on separate planes and that's like that's my issue with Bard is that he's like assuming he has like a positivist triumphalist assumption that technology has that revolutionary power and it does very quickly I just want to make sure is that it, he is 100% that this could just, there's nothing, like it's a amoral, like it's the technology, there's it's no assurance that it will turn out well. Right. It's like zero. Okay. Right. Um, and he, yeah, he's very much like, he doesn't think the internet's, he's never said the internet's a good thing. Never once. No, I get that he said he's saying what he's. I mean, and I appreciate that about him. It's like I'm not. I'm not like predicting the future here. The future is fucking now. This is happening. So I understand that acceptance. It's it's going to be horrible. And yeah, and he acknowledges that, and he talks. I think he talks. He like does away with good and evil and that kind of moral that kind of moral rubric, and talks about destructive versus constructive, constructive, right? I just realized where I actually had heard the similar idea, especially after what Jonathan was saying. This idea of a bunch of Uber men should get together and somehow form a collective, and it's Have the Shrug by Ayn Rand. That's oh, where you oh, tell the interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you guys, that book's like, you know, it's 
2,000 pages or something and highly ridiculous, but it's like, yeah, that's her vision is that the industrialists and the millionaires and everything and the producers in society get sick of supporting the rabble and getting taken advantage of by the government, so they go form a community outside of society and wait for everything to fall apart. Yeah. And it's like, but again, they're these individuals that somehow when they come together, it's like, without, you know, government restrictions on the free market, it's like, it's paradise, it's utopia. They all just work together somehow and yeah. it works out. <laughs> I think there's a crucial difference, which is that in, in Rand, 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 Rand's view, it's... Uh, like hyper individualist, whereas Bard is like thinking of this as actually like networked kind of not. It's not about the individual. So that seems like a big difference. Yeah, but it is similar, strikingly yeah. similar. Well, I he, bet he would like that. <laughs> that was one of the things because I again I was like half listening to the early, the lecture that he did uh, the video. Um, it was some years ago, like 2012 or whatever, but. Um, that was one of the things I really appreciated is he talked about each of these systems, commun communism, socialism, um, capitalism, like all these systems are very individualistic. They all come down to the individual. The idea that a different framework where the individual exists inside of a collective is, I mean, I'm using my own words to describe what I understood him saying, but I found that really fascinating. I also found it really fascinating to tie into what you were talking about, this um, sort of shifting in power. And I see that happening now. Like, people who can communicate, he talked about, people who can communicate well will be the ones who sort of, like, step into this power role. And he talked about that women tend to communicate better than men and, like, women spend more time on the Internet communicating and guys spend more... I mean, these are vast stereotypes. Guys spend more time gaming and how this, like... Stereotypes put an enormous amount of data behind them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he predicted, he talked about, like, this growing disease as young... as men sort of get pushed out of this new... Um, playground, for lack of a better way of putting it, this new place where power is consolidating and transacting, and it, that made total sense to me, because I'm like, yeah, I mean, the people who, I mean, if I look at in the traditional structures of power, and he talked about that those people will then try to turn to more traditional sources of power, like politics, and get, which, you know, going on. <laughs> anyway, I found that really fascinating, because that was eight, eight years ago, I think, and it's like, that's definitely happening now. I mean, some of the weird, some of the very interesting people that are getting into politics are attempting to, at this point, you also see how somebody who understands the way social media works, like, the power that has to influence, like, Anyway, I just found that I found that piece incredibly fascinating because um, I had never thought about that before. About like the the skills that were essential to operate in the previous structure, which we're sort of transitioning out of, are not the same skills that will be required <coughs> in the new structure. Right. Just an interesting idea, right? Well, it's really interesting because to communicate, you have to be somewhat literate, right? You have to understand. So it will be really interesting to sort of see how 
how the effect of our, our declining education on people's capacity to operate in that realm because, because they can't communicate in written form in the same way. They can't. Um, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see if I'm around for it. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I wanted to say a couple of things in response to this really epic conversation um but yeah first of all the the whole suffering thing that's being brought up is interesting to me because i take bart as sort of his response to both like consumerism and the welfare state is like the problem with those is that the suffering's taken out or something and he's like you're an adult you have to face the suffering like so for me from the foundations of his thinking their suffering is like there so i don't i don't really quite understand what's missing when you talk about that yet I'm not saying there's not something missing. I just don't. That piece doesn't line up for me. The other thing that I wanted to like nuance is his utopianism, which I find really fascinating. I had many of the same sort of like reactions to it at first, and I think you can't take him literally because for for Bard, it's like like we have to have a utopia. We have to have a vision for where we're going. And that's like the Exodus story, right? Like, it's, it's you, you have a vision, the land of milk and honey, you're going there. And, and that's why he, like, he loves an engineers and not environmentalists, because he's like, engineers are constructive. They're out here, like, how can we make this better, as opposed to the environmentalists who are like, you're evil, you're evil, you drive a car, I do too, but you're evil. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I, for me, it's like, it's like, you're, we're never going to arrive at the utopia. I think this is what Bart thinks. Like, that's like, Part of how we construct our reality is that we have a utopia that we're going towards. We're Moses, but we don't get there. <laughs> right. We can't get there, we're and that's part right. of his like Hegelian thing thinking too. Is like you can't take out the friction ever. There's always yeah. has to be friction, and if we did like arrive at the utopia, I think for Bard that would just then generate the counter mm-hmm. to that, and then there would be some sort of new conflict that would emerge. So. But it's easy to take him literally because he talks like it. He'll just say, he'll make statements that are absurd or directly contradict a statement he just made before. So it's just sort of like working through that led me to that sort of, like he never says that in, in, in any one way as like we don't arrive at utopia, but it's just like, oh, this is like how he's from all the different pieces. That's how I've made sense of it. That's really helpful. Do you think then that like, so then the part of the imaginary triad, how we would start telling ourselves stories about this, would be selling people on the idea of events, and actually the path is the goal, rather than, like, you need to get here, and then, like, right. never satisfied, because once you get there, you just got to go somewhere else, and it's like, so would that be part of this new kind of storytelling or whatever, is, like... Yeah, I think so. Mythologizing that and having that be something that people can internalize... Jumped in a lot. So someone else jump in if they want to keep me right on here, but that's like my brain's going. Because I wanted, Fern kind of brought up this point that I think is connected to what both you all are saying. Fern's point, if I understood it, was kind of like, isn't he just like a techno type? Like, isn't he just. Isn't it kind of like just envisioning some utopia? Like, we're going to use technology and we're just going to like create a paradise. Totally without, smooth. Totally smooth. No friction, no conflict. Of, like, and isn't there just, isn't, haven't we seen enough hubris? You know, haven't we seen people screw it up enough thinking 
that they know what's up. How is he, what he's suggesting? You raise a question like, how exactly is what he's suggesting different than that, given that we know that that's um, Is that a fair presentation? Sure. Yeah? Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, your point your point about the utopia never being able to show up um, but we still have to kind of like go towards it and then you as like how are we going to narrate that in such a way that it doesn't this is a piece I'm going to add it's, he, what's his problem with environmentalists versus ecotopians and I think for ecotopians for environmentalists he sees that there's a emphasis on uh not enough of emphasis on logos. On the what? Uh, logos. Logos. Logos, yeah, thank you. Um, there's, there's a kind of, he's really into holding two things at once, factuality um, and long term. So he actually says that global warming isn't the first thing, isn't the thing that he thinks we need to be saved from. Yeah. He thinks it's the next ice age. So he sets it out actually like hundreds of years that that's coming, regardless of whatever else is true, that is coming down the pipelines. And so, and it's going to be absolutely monumental shift. So, granted, it's hundreds of years away, but it's going to be like as big of a deal as, we better start working on it. <laughs> like, or start thinking our mindset on that. Um, so, one, he's, he's thinking long-term rather than short-term solutions. And then second, when it comes to things like genetically modified food, I think this comes back to it, when it comes to genetically modified food or nuclear power, that he, he is thinking there are costs to these things, but there's also um, the level of, of emotion and rhetoric around these things is distorted. So he, he thinks that with those two things in particular, that if we just cut to the truth of what those things are and what they do and how they can be done, that there is actually a way forward. And the reason why we're so resistant to these things is largely because of a reaction to them that's actually not based in truth. It's not based in the actual facts of the situation. Um, so I think the ecotopianism is, is oh, and then I'll add one more piece is that the technology thing, the thing that I like about him is that all the technological pieces that he suggests as far as AI stuff goes are actually based on human limitations. So like one of the things that like blockchain will do, well, one of the things AI will do will allow like intertribal, intertribal conflicts, kind of find a way to navigate that because that's not going away. Whereas a techno-utopian would be like, yes, we can use technology to kind of communicate with one another and all get along. Bar's going, no, we'll just want to kill one another. <laughs> like, that's not going to change. So if technology is going to save us, it's actually in our limitations that it needs to step in. So we need to, like, preserve our, our finiteness and the fact that we're just not changing at the pace that technology is changing. So that, that piece, I think, is... And that's where the religion piece comes in, which is, I think, the mythos piece. <clears throat> like, so the mythos that gets told about it is kind of rooted in human fragility and finiteness um, and technology. 
not saving us because it's an extension of ourselves with our endless power, but rather realizing the ways that we are just profoundly not, not capable genetically hardwired to create some profound problems. That's it. Way too much. Not as related as I hoped it was going to be. <laughs> They're all connected in my brain. The one thing that I said that I kind of really agree with is, is he like, his whole concept of AI is kind of a black box and it's like, yeah, that might happen. We might get like super sentient AI that we can like then like evolve and grow with. But I, I think it's also equally possible that the kind of intelligence that we manifest like has to be embodied or something. Like you can't have it disembodied, and that's entirely possible. I don't, I don't know, I have no way to evaluate that. But like so much of my like personal objections to Bart are entirely aesthetic. Like I hate his cosmopolitan city of the future. But then when I examine that, I'm like, well, that's because I just want to live in, like, a, like a 120-person <laughs> village out in the country and, like, work in the forest. Yeah. And, like, like, that's my, like, thing. But that's, that's a kind of, like, elitist privilege mentality that's, like, kind of, like, refusing to look at what else is happening in the world and, like, where those things are going. So, for, like, for me, the place I eventually landed at was, like, well, my rejection of Bart is kind of aesthetic. It's not, it's not really grounded in anything other than, like... I don't want to live in a big city. <laughs> what does it mean that our <clears throat> technology has advanced beyond us? That we haven't caught up, that we're not... I mean, it's a, it's an interesting concept, right? Because it's like, it, it it's just look at cars as the simplest example. Is what's advanced beyond us is a recognition of the damage that they do versus the convenience that they provide, right? I mean, it's not like they're... Does that make sense? You know, there's a... I think that, like, Bard and Jordan Peterson's their objection to, to like, social justice warriors or, or, you know... The... Uh, I'm totally blanking. What do they call environmentalists? Environmentalists <clears throat> is that there's a there's a um, there's an inherent hypocrisy and self hatred that like transfers itself to scapegoating the system when you yourself aren't willing to give up the conveniences of consumerism and a yeah. capitalist society, um, which is all of our dilemma, right? So there's like so the the contempt that gets thrown on social justice warriors. While I appreciate. I appreciate what Jordan Peterson revealed because it's like, yeah, it's like that hypocrisy of that movement should be revealed. And it's interesting that like the two of its biggest critics came from like social systems that are way more like have a way stronger welfare state than ours. Um, yeah. But there's, but the, and, and it's like, I have a friend in Norway who talks about that. They love their system, but also he's sick of the fuckers that get produced out of it. And it's like, I think welfare states produce their own kind of suffering in a sense um, but it's that there's the essential spiritual nugget right there that it's like what does it mean that our te technology is advanced beyond us and it's like it's back to that like individual spiritual question it's like Frankenstein We're, we haven't moved past that what was revealed by that right is like you're going to play God with your environment it's going to come back and destroy you and devour you and it's like that's getting back that's kind of the the essential that's what I I mean by like 
there's a part of me that like suspects that Bard is kind of a consumerist apologist in a sense. Like he seems to celebrate like a like consumer society in a way, and it's like that. There's something like something still missing in in that debate for me with him, at least. If that makes sense, go, you want to say something? Go ahead. Well, I, that notion that like we'll we'll just. Um ignore the limits of our environment and create this like thing that then eventually destroys us I, I it's, I'm like well what do we do then do we just is that a fatalistic notion for you is that like we just can't help it no it caught it's like the only I think the only way the only answer out is is like spiritual and I and I mean that in the broad sense of like coming to terms with like our like like our pride our depend our what we're not willing to sacrifice to keep our convenience, what we're not willing to sacrifice to like, to our fears and to our discomfort. And there's, that's like, that's what was missing. That maybe it might be the piece that's missing, which Liz mentioned before is like this sense of like, like the old, like the sense of the social contract and this, and the sacrifice and the suffering that's inherent in being a member of a society seems to be slightly missing from his proposals or his, diagnosis of things and in that sense that's why I feel like sometimes it's like he's walking a fine line between like kind of celebrating technology and also like what you said I acknowledge it's like he's very good at saying this is where we're at I'm not talking about like some future and I think I feel like he ignores that like individ- that individual like component and I'm not saying I have an answer to it if we had a fucking answer to it we wouldn't be sitting here Yeah, he actually kind of removes the individual. I wonder if that's <clears throat> kind of the seat of your objection in some sense. Well, mo- removes... Yeah, I, that shouldn't be. <laughs> you know, because I think part of the problem is, like, the it narcissism... It sounds like you're saying the individual is the solution. I think I think it's an inside... Yeah, I do think it's an inside job. It's like that kind of sense of, like, we can only answer all of these questions for ourselves, and I can stop driving a fucking car. I can't make you do it. No social system probably could he, just he, for that in that example he does have, he does like express the very Nietzschean idea like that of like there is no separation between us and everything else like so 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 it's but it's weird like that's the weird sort of like there's this there's these um contradictions which it's helpful when you say don't take him literally because there's I there's a lot of contradictions that you know like I'm a Zoroastrian but like you know there's no good and evil well that's like the <laughs> right. basis of Zoroastrian. <laughs> like, what are you talking about what? yeah he's constantly <laughs> speaking in terms of good and evil like, yeah. that idea is evil this idea is good yeah yes. and so it's this weird like where are you and who the fuck are you because you don't know what you think you know, but he obviously is very brilliant and does know what he thinks. It's just not being... It's just like, I can't make them meet. Yeah. And he's not explaining how they meet, you know. So it's like stuff like that. It's like, I'm like, oh, what? And so that's probably part of it, too, because I'm like, I, I, don't, get, I don't understand, like, this yeah. thing. <laughs> I love that, because that's obviously, like, why has been so interesting to me enough times it's just because I have to I like that thing I'm like what the like you literally just said <laughs> yeah. the opposite yeah. like and I know you're not 
an idiot. <laughs> so like, how can you say this and then say this yeah. and have those be part of the same universe? Yeah. yeah. But when I check my own experience, I have conf- I, that's inside me. Right. Totally. All the time. Yeah. And I resolve that all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, but I don't go. I tend to you don't give lectures. Talk about it. <laughs> I know she does. Because I know it's like you baffling. It doesn't make any sense to anyone but me. You know, like how that works. So yeah. Anyway. Sweet. Yeah. Gosh, I feel like this all goes back to Will's thing that I just I meant to address and it just I couldn't do it, but I I really wanted really thought I could. The how to narrate how to create a mythos under these conditions that do kind of point to a way forward. What, I mean, you're bringing up one point is like, there's, does the mythos have, does it have, should it be one, what role, or what role should it play this idea of self-control and restraint and sacrifice and giving you things like, like driving your car or something? How much, how much is that the answer moving forward? Yeah. Or even on a more, like, personal, spiritual, psychic level, you know. Not just like material, but see, that's where the collective comes in because let me just argue because this just comes to mind as soon as you say I'm choosing to drive my car, and it's like, well, maybe I wouldn't choose to drive my car if there were really efficient sources of mass transportation, or if I didn't have to live in a city that's covered in cement in order to ride my bike. You know, I I live out in the country and I choose to live in nature, but that choice means I've got to drive my car to get to my groceries. You know, so there's. You know, and that's where the collective comes in of like, you know, we can call things individual choices, but there's also a limit to those individual choices absolutely. based on what we collectively have yeah, created absolutely. and developed. And so, we got to acknowledge that too. Yes. I think, yeah, the Bard's, the point you kind of make about the environmentalism, it's a caricature, right? I mean, it's like, he's kind of paying an environmentalist to just say, like, stop it, you know. Stop driving your car. Versus the Ecotopian, who I think Bard would kind of think the Ecotopian is the person that's wanting to rethink infrastructure. So that's to kind of allow choices to be more functional with regard to Ecotopia. Yeah. Maybe the car driving was a bad example. I honestly just meant it as like a <laughs> object <laughs> metaphor. But, right, but where that breaks down for me is tough. maybe I'm changing the subject here. But but going back to like GMOs and the technology and how it gets you know gets ahead of us a little bit is like GMOs is a fine example where you know Terminator seeds and how are those going to play havoc on the ecosystem and like whether or not we have food in the future and whether yep. that particular crop can even produce and yeah. we, we're, we're finding solutions oh it's a great solution to a big problem um, but 
but don't necessarily have the wherewithal to see to forecast ahead or to even or even the patience to test something over time before we're before we're actually figuring out whether or not benzos are really addictive and can really mess you up you know we're prescribing them to people for you know on mass you know scales like we have no you know there's all sorts of ways that our technology is like really screwing shit up for a lot of people i think i think bard's response to that would be something along the lines of like well of course those gmos were created in a capitalist structure that's like designed to maximize profits and doesn't care about externalities in the environment at all Mm -hmm. whereas he might say like a networked AI that like actually takes those as like realities and then and then of course we've been genetically modifying our environment for forever like right. this is just like maybe a more powerful way to do it but if you were trying to genetically modify food to be better for the environment to create more habitat to, you know to not terminate so that other people can't get the genes and grow them themselves you know but rather so that they could provide more abundant like a, at least theoretically to me I feel like that would be a good response it's hard to know, like, is GMOs the problem, or is it the structure, that the, the way they're handled? Because they all arise simultaneously. Yeah. Population, and right. resources. And completely dependent on one another. Right. This, this the motivation point, for the pharmaceuticals is also profit. Yes. Like, you can't remove the profit motive. I think Schmachtenberger made a point that really helped me think about this in a more positive light, where he talked about how we might be in this kind of, like, caterpillar stage where we're just like gathering all these resources and technology and so like we have the capability to genetically modify plants we're really shitty at it because we just do it to make more money and it's all like game a kind of like disinformation stuff in there but could we go through a butter like the cocoon phase and emerge as a butterfly that can then like take that and like use it to do something positive I don't know yeah I mean the ultimate the ultimate metaphor or example of that is like in the current condition is you have a disease and pharmaceutical agencies like pharma- like labs are withholding information from each other to come up with the cure first while yep. tens or hundreds of thousands of people are dying I mean that's nightmarish right yep it's happening right now with the race for the coronavirus vaccine whoever gets that will be trillionaires probably yeah. and will not share it Talk about a distribution nightmare too. You know where that's going first, right? But I mean, that's (laughs) (laughs) not me either. I'm like, no. Bill Gates is gonna have to strap me down. All those problems sort of go back to what you're saying of just ignoring the other types of intelligence and mm. thinking we can create a computer intelligence that can solve those problems when we kind of have a broad and like omnipresent example of an intelligence that sort of seeks homeostasis whenever it's out of balance and like, we just ignore it and always have. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't say I always have. <laughs> I bet we did. I mean, I, mean, I don't know. I think there's always that's part of the tribalism thing that Bart I have a trouble with the tribal archetype mm-hmm. that he sets forth is like I don't think it takes into account suffering in the sense that we probably were always trying to take ownership and make things better and eliminate suffering in some sense and I don't think there was a tribal structure where it was perfect for everybody all the time 
Yeah, I don't. I, I think that's romanticism on our part when we do yeah. that. I take his point there not to be so much that it was perfect, but that we sort of evolved into that over a long period of time, and so it mapped well onto us. Yeah, that's more what I hear him saying. Like we were able like, to grow with it. Yeah, it, like it was suited to us over this yeah. like long period because he takes evolution very seriously and, and it's like this idea that we're like hunter gatherers for you know tens hundreds thousands of years and that like structure was like closely embedded in human psychology human evolution I, I think it's really important with Bard to always remember that he's not saying like this is good when he praises something he's just like this is what is this works this way kind of is it though? <laughs> I, I don't know yeah I mean, I, I do think there's a romanticism when we look back on... There is for me, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, and I get it. And there is for me in some sense, but I, I, I can imagine living in some of those conditions and, like, the extent of, that we suffer now. And a lot of those ills of a modern society would be removed, but we'd also be presented with a lot more real suffering that we have escaped physical and physical suffering you mean physical mental i'm sure yeah yeah i don't it's like what is suffering being out of alignment and out of harmony with your environment or feeling alienated or physically all of those things all alienated. of the above and yeah. d, the d would be the box <laughs> <to check. laughs> it's like i mean there's a you know the, the i don't know who the the Yeah, I mean, I don't take his like like Brian said like when he when he describes that there's I mean there maybe is an extent to which the like his assessment his analysis of what is or like what what is so what is essentially our nature because that's that's where we come come from maybe maybe there's there's like a, a misidentification there um, but it's to the extent that he focuses on that and talks about that I. I don't hear him saying, like, we. this is a state to which we should return. I don't uh, think so. Either. That's not what I was going Okay. I think it's... Yeah. Well, I, I, I hear him saying there are ways... Basic structures here that, that just is, like, a part of who we are. And to the extent that we ignore those, we're working against our own nature. And yeah. it's... it's mm-hmm. I think there's a difference between pathology and suffering. So you can have a pathological environment mm-hmm. that, like, it just... It's, it's like, hellish. And you could have, like, a pretty idyllic environment, like, you know, that's not a non-pathological, like an adaptive, functional environment, still have suffering. Suffering's part of existence. And that's, that's a, you know, you, you want to be able to, you know, to suffer well and, like, yeah. but still, like, work towards something that is noble and worth working towards. And that's, like, the, the sort of the, I don't know, working against pathological systems or something. Right. Yeah, I, like I guess that. I'm wondering if we identify... trying to work towards not necessarily eliminating suffering but building something better we just tend to recreate like we have a homeostatic state of suffering in one way or another and I don't know that like the hypothetical tribal structure whether it manifested in like a series of network nodes or like an Amazon tribe if like Mm -hmm. there's no ideal I guess I don't know there is no are you saying? Are you saying that like it's kind of an illusion that we think we don't want to suffer? Yeah. <laughs> like that we actually 
suffering. So, like, we're always going to find. We're going to find it. The same way that water this finds is, the lowest point. On yeah. the, we're going to manifest it. This is build a, it in for ourselves. Dostoevsky's like man in the glass house. It's just like yeah. give him cake and all the sex he can have in the whole world. Eventually, he's just gonna start smashing things because yeah. he's bored. <laughs> or Nietzsche saying, "I wouldn't wish my friends to have a good life. I think they should suffer, be tragic, <laughs> and sick, that. and." Yeah. Well, there is an element like it's just like if I understand what you're saying, like people suffer for different reasons, right? Like, the things that they wanted or desired or thought that they needed were different. We still, like, it, that's what creates the suffering is sort of this, like, idea that what is here and now is not sufficient. Is that sort of what you... So, like, in our, we, so we strive to, like, for better or yeah. for more... Like thinking that the grass is going to be greener, or that we're going to arrive at some place, but all we arrive in the same place where there's something greener over there too, and still, or maybe I'm just layering my own sort of thought right on top of what you were saying. I mean, I think I think that's part of yeah, part of it. I think it also ties into what you were saying earlier about the path as, instead of the utopia. Like you never get there, and like maybe these things are conjoined in my mind like I understand the utopic vision as an orienting device yeah I don't think we're collectively capable of like acknowledging it as just that and Mm -hmm. accepting the limitations of the vision in our (coughs) own limitations there's a matter of survival. Though. Like, this is one thing I wonder about tribes and like genuine communities and stuff. Is that I don't know if they like they don't they exist because like people need them in order to survive. That's like why they're there. But like, if you don't, if you live in a consumer society and you can outsource all your relationships, you don't actually have to have relationships with people. You just spend money. You don't even have to go to the store anymore. You can have stuff delivered yeah. to you. Right. If it's not necessary for <laughs> survival, it's like, why bother when it gets tough? And that's what you see with like these intentional communities is that people come and they go, and they come and they go, and it's like, you know, they don't really need it. They don't feel like they need it. So I'm wondering if, like, this whole thing about communities and tribes, it's like, we don't really, we don't feel like we need those things if we actually do. I mean, you see a little bit more, it's like, that's what's weird with the fringe groups now, is that people are getting this idea, like, maybe I do need this in order to survive. Yeah. If I'm being attacked by these other groups, then I'm going to join this group. But those are all very toxic, right? They're based around these, like, weird identity politics and stuff. And I mean, it's tribal, but it's not, like... <laughs> Communal? Yeah, it's just based around, you know... It's not conducive to a better life. No, not at all. But, yeah, but there is, like, physical and mental well-being is one of the mediators of that is social connection actually yeah but it takes work doesn't it it's not always nice it's like it's hard to have relationships with people and to be part of something that's sure but to not have them is also a problem which is what i'm saying like you are going to be more at risk of physical and mental illness yeah yeah but i don't think that we Well, I'll just speak from my own experience. Like, there was a period in my life where it just seemed better to not have those. Like, I didn't, like, that connection wasn't made. That maybe I was, like, really emotionally and mentally ill (laughs) because 
I didn't have connection. It was like tying those two things together was not like it seemed like the source of my problems was like all these assholes that wouldn't like do what I wanted them to do basically. <laughs> you know, I mean that's what it boiled down to that I didn't know. So yeah, that's like not this. to say that we're, we're very good at that social connectedness yeah. now, and that's, I think, one of the things that we've lost. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot from those, you know, hunter-gatherer cultures and other, you know, earlier tribes is they actually, one thing that they did know is how to keep a community together. Yeah. yeah. And make it a somewhat healthy, you know, system. And, and now in this world, we don't need it to get our food needs met and our safety and security, but... We still do need it for mental and physical well-being, turns out, unfortunately, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and But we're not very good at it. And so, you know. So people are dying left and right of diseases of despair, addiction, yeah. alcoholism, suicide. You know, it's like all of those. That's what, that's like suffering to me is like, it's, it, it like generate, you know what I mean? It's like this sense of meaninglessness and lack of connection that people can't even identify I couldn't identify it when I experienced it myself but it it ramified it ramified it made it materialize in me hurting myself you know basically in like this in like like basically living a life of self-harm and damaging other people so it's like that's how that like despair plays out from lack of like my family breaking down this society breaking down this like sense of like relationships not working anyway it will be interesting to see how because in a sense technology has sort of redefined relationships and connectedness and I think he talked about that in the the lecture that he gave one of the questions somebody asked a question I can't remember the exact question but he talked about like observing rates of hospitalizations and suicide attempts of young girls like rise in direct correlation with access to uh, the internet you know and and how the emotional and mental well-being of these young girls were really damaged by um, these social media platforms that they had suddenly found themselves sort of um, like that's where the socialization had moved and it's I think that's a very real issue that is not yeah like under the tribal structure when we're like when I need you because I'll die without you like we're gonna sort our shit out no matter how hard it is right like we're gonna figure it out and other people are gonna join in to to help us figure it out (laughs) because if we don't we all die yeah Yeah, exactly who's to say that was always just though either it's not just now yeah I I just had an idea and I want to run it by you guys so like we've 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 in the the modern or to today, we've we've like figured out ways to meet our needs. Um, though like the market has like figured out ways to meet our needs, and the, our needs are all sort of like alienated from each other. Like we have like we have the distribution system for food. We have you know gyms to like exercise. Or you know, like we we've um, you know we have like Facebook friends. We have like social media. We have like so there's. Like we have, we, there's like ways in which our needs are met. If we need like connection with people, we'll go to a bar or a coffee shop. Like there's, there's a, 
but everything is like these needs are isolated from each other and yep. they're met in isolated ways and I'm wondering like what if like some like part of what we've lost is that like these needs need to be they need to be met in a networked way in a linked way where you can like to actually like like the the despair is is uh, is um, like is because our needs are being met but they're, they're not connected to each other in any way and so there's and like yeah, there's maybe a relation between the networked meeting of needs and like a sense of like meeting and purpose mm-hmm. like yep our needs are getting met as individuals yes mm-hmm. but arguably we're not individuals uh, our needs are getting met so met, identifying the needs as individuals yeah like I think I, I'm kind of thinking a hash a barred hashtag uh-huh. here is just that like in, if we think of us as, as atoms as individuals then whatever need we happen to have should be able to be met but this idea that like we actually our sense of self and our sense of well-being comes through being connected yeah, yeah. in palpable well, ways not isolated yeah all our needs can be met as individuals, but if we're not individuals, our needs aren't going to I think that point stands as well. Okay. Uh, like the the networked nature of the maybe not the network, because that might be the wrong word, but the the, the the necessity of linking the mode by which our needs are met. Mm-hmm. Like so, having the source of like the sort of you're meeting the religious need, meeting the sort of the sustenance need. Oh, meeting, you're saying those need to be meeting the occupational need meeting the social need meet whatever like meeting the like the, the self-protection against like violence need or you know whatever uh, like however you want to characterize needs like all of those they're, they're met but like distinct from any other need and like in a try or in like a small community like where you're you know growing food like working in tandem with each other like fighting in tandem like everything's like connected you and you, you all of these needs are met by the same net network, and so the um, like, there's they're not distinct needs from each other. Um, well, yeah, and if so, you're making well, the need manifest, that you're making the suffering communal. It's like I, if you, get, if like the more I get to know you, the more I know that if you're in crisis, the more I'm going to care because I know that your crisis is not just you're not just some anonymous integer, yeah, yeah. fair-weathered friend serving me, but you have a family and you are, you know. It's like all we have are like our like relationships with kind of shadows right now. If I understand what you're saying, or at least the way I'm picturing what you're saying, is like, yeah, so right now I go to the store and I get my food, and then I gotta go to the gym to get my exercise, and then I gotta <coughs> go here to, to sort of socialize with somebody, and then, then I go to work because I need to go there to earn money to buy the food and to pay for the gym and all of that stuff. Whereas, like, in a community type setting I would go out to my garden and I would dig and I would be getting physical exercise in that way and I would be doing that alongside someone and there would be connection and what I grew would go to sort of serve you know like if we were living in a community way like our our effort would be going directly into our own uh the the what is produced out of my effort would be directly meeting, like not in an indirect way where I earn money and purchase food, but like I'll be directly meeting my needs and my neighbor's needs. It was that sort of what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, like, like all of those needs are met within the same system, and so there's yes. a there's a 
interrelatedness between your needs, between your like your community, like I don't know. It, it felt like a it was like it felt like an interesting point that came up. Bard describes it in one of the videos as like the difference between just being a consumer and then being in a culture where everybody's participating. Mm-hmm. It's a participatory culture, and once you that's what he actually describes as like that's what will hold these networks together and actually create this kind of atmosphere where people want to be mm-hmm. there is because like. He uses an example like, who's going to want to fucking go pay to see Coldplay? I know. <laughs> After you're like <laughs> right, part of this network where you're actually creating something with other people <laughs> and you have that That's kind of yeah. the relationships that arise out of that. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. That's like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it doesn't really feel that good just to be a consumer. It's like way better in every way to you can consume stuff, but to participate in a real way with other people who are like doing things, not just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and if it doesn't feel good to be a consumer, you are supposed to consume more. Right, I mean, that'll that's help. The therapy, not, and it's or you go to a therapist, they'll make you better, and then you it's can like, eat. yeah, it's just like it's a total model of like self destruction. Well, it's right? produce over here and consume over here. Like the two are not mm-hmm. linked. Yeah. Right. Like I go to work economy. and I produce, yeah. and then I consume over here. But cons- yeah, consumerism is our religion, and it's this weird. <clears throat> but so is production at work. Right, work, yeah. Right? I mean, it's like, we yeah. worship that Gives shit. Gives me my if value. You can't, if you can't be a hard-working American, then... I liked your idea a lot, Josiah, and made me think of something that... I feel like Bard misses this. Maybe he just... I've never heard him talk about it, or I don't remember, but there's that... Those kind of networks, they're not disembodied from, like, a place. Like, and that's what... That's what I find so useful about older tribal societies, is that they were, like enmeshed mm-hmm. into their environment yeah, so their needs too. were like met through their engagement with their ecosystem and then at the same time they were like feeding back into the ecosystem to create more abundance you think about like the amount of salmon that were coming up the rivers in the Pacific Northwest or something mm-hmm. um, and I feel like Bard's sort of vision of the future is kind of disembodied in this way that makes me really like like nervous like I don't know maybe that's something we can have somewhere but it seems like that's, that's right like there to fatalist. take. I totally agree. I think that's yeah. This idea of the immediacy, the taken for grantedness of life inside the tribe, where it's not a question like what are we doing. <laughs> that's like a question right. for no one. It's like right. uh, how does this all fit together? You know, that's never a question. But in our society, it's always a question like how does right. this, how does this all go together? Like it's, it's yeah. not taken. It can't have that taken for granted status. I don't know how he gets. I don't know if he gets us back to, aside from mythos and aside from like maybe these events, maybe like Burning Man or something is a way to kind of like maybe he sees it more as, as events in that way that kind of have that characteristic of place. But yeah, I think that's a big question. Is like place is a very important part of being human. So how? how in the age where place is no longer contingency for relationships, like, I, I don't even know my neighbors. Right, well, yeah. But, like... Or is the place some sort of online platform? Yeah, right. there is no place. Right. right. So place of no place. Place is no longer a contingency for relationships. Yeah, it's really weird. Uh, in networks. And so where does that embodiedness that comes with place get back into his system, or is that just lost? Yeah. You have to be, like, radically unimaginably transparent and authentic to exist online and have, like, have a neighborly knowing of, of your digital neighbor, you know? right? Yeah. Like, yeah. 
That's incredible. Yeah, that's because we're all just presenting whatever we present, and um, it seems impossible. Like maybe that's something that AI could do for us is just expose every possible thing it knows about us, so we can't hide anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I heard you say that that's how we meet ourselves. Yeah. Meet ourselves. Know our neighbor. I would decide it's time for another flood. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, the the natural homeostasis. What if AI's like, well, the good thing would be just to eliminate a shitload of people. You guys don't actually fit here anymore. Isn't that what they ran that program through, an AI program, and that was the conclusion? Like nine out of ten times or something. <laughs> like eliminate people. Making that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the question of place and the question of Will's what I thought yeah, was your your point, the production, the social relationships were built on a uh, were kind of built on the substructure of actual economic needing to like get on with one another. So like I might be repelled by someone, I might be attracted to someone, but I might have beef with them, I might like them, but I need to deal with them because yep. my our economic livelihood depends on it. So there's there's something in which the stability of actual labor interactions generating a way of life in, in let's say like a, a settlement or something like that would maybe hold that social the social relationships more ethereal needs in place. But once that's just gotten rid of what actually keeps communities together? Are they just going to break away? Are people just going to just... Crises and disasters do it now. Except for, like, the coronavirus is weird. It's alienating people further because yeah, of the nature of, like, a pandemic. But, like, you know, the counts of, like, war is an obvious one. I'm getting this from Sebastian Junger, by the way. His book Tribe's really great. You, guys yeah, read it. Yeah, you can read it in, like, an hour. It's really short. But, like... Yeah, like 9-11 or whatever. It's like people will come together and be really good with each other and work together in creative ways, and it's awesome. And then they say later, it's like, one of the best times of my life, even though it's terrifying, yeah. and like, you don't even know if you're going to survive. But it's like, one of his points is like, we're very weak and not really in tune with how we evolved, like, because we don't live in this way where we're like, we're mm. intimately connected with each other and living in tribal ways and stuff like that. And like, he hypothesizes like, that's where the diseases of despair and everything come from, a lot of it. And then like, yeah, consumerism tries to fill that gap, and it's like, I don't get it. Well, one of the other things I thought of, I don't even know if I can probably not even try to <laughs> talk this out, but I see this as this weird backwards thing where it's like, in like ancient times, you know, like people used to talk about if you want to get to know who you are or what you're supposed to do, you need to consult. Like, you have a soul, you have like a daemon who will tell you what to do. Like, Socrates always talked about that. That's why he knew what to do, is because like, he listened very closely to this thing that was sort of like, if you got to locate it, it's like inside you somewhere. It's not something you get from outside. It's like, you can go to the Oracle at Delphi and it'll tell you some crazy riddle that you have to figure out. But again, it's like not telling you what to do. It's kind of pointing you in a direction where you have to figure it out for yourself. And now it's like this thing with the end game of AI seems to be like, if there's this thing where it's like this technology actually robbed us of these things that we used to be in touch with and again like that would be somehow where you're in touch with your lived environment with other people in a really intimate way not fucking alienated from each other over millennia and dependent on all these technologies to do everything and then somehow but the end point of that will be AI which will tell you what you were supposed to find out through your soul or your daemon back <laughs> in the day that's, gonna, that's the end game or whatever and I find that sort of like not convincing at all it seems like 
I don't know if that's exactly what he's saying, but it's like something I think of where it's like that seems to be this thing where it's this weird desire that somehow AI will be like God and somehow like give us meaning back in our life and like tell us who we are, which is what we really want to know, not like, you know. Yeah, what if, what if it did, like, play the, the role of the, the Delphic Oracle that just, that, that <laughs> gives you, gives you directions, but, like, you've got to, like, puzzle through it somehow, <coughs> like, it's, it's... Doesn't AI, like, when you ask it questions now, I've heard, like, it gives really weird <laughs> answers that are cryptic, sort of, like, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Or it's, like, people, it'll just say, like... There's different, your, like, your phone, or what, what do you mean, ask AI? Like, Siri? Well, like these Siri. weird supercomputers or whatever. I don't know. I, like, no, I, I assume you mean something else, but I, I, I'm not sure what you mean by it. I'm not either. I'm just kind of talking out of my ass. But you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, no, I've seen that kind of stuff where they create these like kind of machine intelligences that you can chat with, and they're like learning by people talking to them, and then they'll sometimes have like really bizarre or interesting conversations. Yeah, you can ask it like a philosophical question about like some existential question, and it'll give you some weird answer that's like maybe might be profound or something but it might just be bullshit and people are like they just fed it all to so like guards library and <laughs> yeah. it's so yeah it's so weird that like the the dynamic when you when you you start feeding it data then it starts like measuring or starts coming up with like hypotheses and testing them and then like like self-correcting and sort of and you and you sort of like set ai on itself like it's sort of machine learning huh. its own conclusions and so you get this this rapid like explosion of like activity that like nobody knows what the fuck's going on inside this like this like black box they don't even know how to like what language to use to try to understand like what it's doing there's like something going on that you build this machine that then starts working inside itself and like you, it's just mm-hmm. it's, there it's was like, a the case where google during in their translate development they were trying to communicate or translate between chinese and english and they set the ai the task to do it more efficiently and it created its own language that nobody understands <laughs> <laughs> translates from Chinese to that and then that to English really? oh, is, it good? Oh, cool. is it like accurate yeah. what, is, what is that what if that's like like the like the first language like the, the first like, computer in, in the, the future computer the mythology that will be the no I want like, like it's, <laughs> it's like the the proto like human language like what if it like reverse engineered like the the first language spoken by the first <laughs> We would never know. We would never know. Maybe the tribe was ideal because we're all under threat of death. Yeah, that's what I... I think we just need some shit chasing us around. We don't and have we to quit worrying about the, the Martinez just right exactly. there. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I think back to my own... Like, I think back and it's like I fished on a boat in Alaska and like laid on my high school football team and went through two-a-day practices. And those were all hell. And then I look back on it and I was like... That was really meaningful. Yeah, I really, right. you know, it's so good. and it's like in like disasters and tragedies salmon in my and life, or like they reduce, they reduce me to like, like I, I don't know, like a focus and a and like a, a, a hemming in of decision making that seems no less crucial because it's got less options. You don't have time to be depressed. I wanted yeah. to. <laughs> I wanted to mention this anecdote that occurred to me earlier, and I just remembered it when what you were saying now. But one time we were watching this video with some family members who are very like SJW kind of, and it's like a Planet Earth kind of like anthropology thing, and they're looking at this Polynesian tribe, 
And it's like these brutal rituals that these young men are going through. They're like getting tattooed and they're going through like getting like stabbed with like super hot, like heated woods poles. And it's like, and uh, the, the family was just like, this is abusive. Like these people are being abused. Oh man, this is terrible. And I was like, like, then they're like showing them like hunting alligators after that. I was just like, they're, they're probably so much happier than we are with all of that abuse. Yeah. Like, yeah. yes, is it abusive? Sure. I mean, I don't... It's I symbolic abuse, though, it's, right? It's meaningful well, abuse. It's like yeah. abuse that has a container to, like, to create right. the to kind of humans you can be in that environment and yeah. survive. You could take on an alligator because you have to be willing to do that to live there. Yeah. Well, this is a counter to something that was said earlier about these like cultures that we've romanticized. And I actually see it the opposite. You and I have had a conversation about this where we see it very differently. I see a lot of people kind of imagining that people, that drives the way people live. We suffered so much. We were always being chased by lions and we had massive famines and all. Of, and it's like, my, I don't actually think that's true. I don't think we were chased by lions very often, most of us. And I don't think that we experienced severe weather patterns. Not to say, I'm saying we on this grand scale of like a tribe might have gone through a particularly hard winter where some people died from starvation. But on the whole, people actually, most places, most of the time, didn't experience these extreme events. And, you know, to imagine that their life was so hard and now we've got it so easy because we can just go to the store and get our food. It's like, no, I think they probably had it pretty down. They knew how to get the food and they knew how to survive and they knew how to get through rough winters because winters were often rough. And, you know, whatever the different scenarios were, I mean, I actually think that uh, we have some mixed views about how people used to live. I don't know what the truth is, I suppose, but... Um, to be to be honest, I don't think we have it easy now. I don't think it was like hellish. I think we romanticize on both ends. And I think you could make that statement about our current systems too. Is like on the whole, we probably don't suffer that great. Like you, you can pinpoint like a couple people and it's blasted through the media, you know, but like I think you look. I don't, yeah, I think often you're right, like, we'd say we're getting chased by lions, or, obviously we developed ways of existing with each other and the environment that worked for a really long time, and were meaningful, um, but well, I think it, I think the thing with Bard doing it, to me it seems like, and I know it's been brought up before, don't take him literally, and you're right, it seems like there's always this idealizing of that that I think ignores the fact that like suffering was there too and it's just like our state of being and it's part of it. Aren't, aren't there, so there's, I'm, I just want to make a distinction I think, like there's three things, there's struggle and that's just like struggle yeah. to survive, there's like whatever, you just gotta work to do everything, there's struggle and there's like really good struggle, really like Hormesis, like, um, and then there's suffering, which is a whole another. It's like another side of struggle, like, or it's a, it's a sort of like an, an emotional posture to struggle. And then there's like pathological like environment where like, that's kind of what we're in now, like, where the struggle's been reduced, but the environment is like pathologically constructed. So like our suffering is like just like more, much more subtle, like behind the scenes. 
I make a distinction between that very well and the words I was using. Yeah, I mean, I kind of... I see that as true. I studied anthropology, and I kind of agree with Fern on that. It's like there's... I mean, the whole idea of a subsistence economy and the hand-to-mouth life of, like, tribal groups has been completely exploded. It's like they lived pretty well, and they had, like, stores of food, and it's like they had a lot of leisure time. It's, you know, it was, like, mostly the conquistadors and the missionaries that came down and saw them, like, working two hours a day and napping and fucking all the time. They're like, well, they're not good Christians, so we better, like, (laughs) whip them into shape, you know? But it's like there's... Yeah, there's a really... Pierre Clusteres is, like, a really great French anthropologist who wrote a book called Society Against the State, and he breaks that down looking at, like, Northwest, like, tribal cultures. And it's, like, it's... I, I have to agree with a lot of what you said. It's, like, they live in pretty amazing harmony. Well, I can argue against myself real quick. Just <laughs> Go for it. I Which is, <laughs> people died a lot sooner... Infant mortality was much higher. Women died in childbirth a lot more. If you broke a leg, there was a chance you might not survive. If you came out with a deformity, forget it. You know, but I also think that the tribes actually had ways to hold that. Yes. In a way that was not necessarily suffering. Yes. Right? Like, death wasn't, you know, to die at 34 was no big deal. That's what, you know. Yeah, yeah. And there was a, a, a meaning to that that didn't, wasn't like, where we're so resistant to death now, we're so terrified yeah. of it, we spend a lot of time and energy fighting against it. Yeah. Whereas they could do it without it being a tragedy, in a yeah. sense. I mean, yeah. I'm, again, romanticizing right, right now. Right. So would that be a problem for you, because there's not enough suffering in that? No! <laughs> oh, hey! You know what? No more coffee for you. <laughs> no, it's like, I like the distinction. It's that. like the meaninglessness is like the meaningless suffering, right. you know, and like yeah. that. I think, like, meaninglessness is the worst form of suffering, so I agree yeah. with that. It's like, hold, I like the way you put it, if there's no place to hold it, and we have no place to fucking hold anything yeah. in this society. Right. Suffering, love, any of that yeah. stuff, it's all marketed out to, like, the, the, you know. Well, and I would, yeah reiterate Josiah's point I think is really valid too that I don't I don't make a didn't make a distinction very well between struggle and suffering and I think like um, struggle has meaning and suffering can have meaning when it's like attached to the mythos right but um, you you can suffer like something that other some something's just a struggle for somebody else can yeah, be yeah. suffering for you it could be suffering for somebody did anybody see Midsommar no that movie nobody's seen it or film it's really interesting. It was like it's like a t- it's like played as a horror film. Nah, never mind. You guys got to see it, and then we can talk about it. <laughs> but it kind of it. What was interesting is like it. It's scary, but at the same time, it's these Western, you know, these Americans that go over to this like like ancient festival in Scandinavia somewhere, where it's like they have a very small communal setup, and it's like very structured and ritual, and like the everybody goes through phases of life and and like when you hit 72 you suicide for the good of you know this good of society and and it's like the way that's played is like a horror film i thought that was really funny because it's like you're reacting through these like westerners who come and we all romanticize these tribal ritualized ways of living that gives us all set places and their reaction to it is like fuck you know and it's it's it was a it's a kind of a brilliant movie they because were it just also plays. Well, hallucinogens so are part like of the kind ritual. Of cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's just—it's an interesting. Isn't it in Sweden? Where Bard's from? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's and an it's just, it's an interesting flip that it's like what is terrifying to us is often what we, is seeing actualize what we actually say that we want. And when it's portrayed, it's like, fuck that. That looks no. awful. <laughs> yeah. We've been kicked out of that Garden of Eden. Like, we're not going to get back in. <laughs> right. I mean, there is no going back, right? Right. So, that's right. given that that's like the context where meaning, where we found, have found meaning for so long in revolutionary history, how under these new conditions do we, what, how do we make a way for ourselves? How do we kind of actual, how do we create meaning or have hold suffering or do these things that just yeah. need a phallic vision. Yeah, that that's that is the one thing I do <laughs> like about your phallic vision. Question. Oh. I did. We didn't really talk about it much, but he talks. I mean, there's. I'm not quite sure. He talks about like the three netocracies. Two sort of seem chronological. One and two seems like one happens first, then two happens. Three seems like a, a a sort of an overarching kind of or a concurrent parallel autocracy, which I don't even know how he's thinking about that. Is it like classes within the netocratic class, or is it like some? It's like a whole totally different phenomenon. But the um, the role of like storytelling around what's happening. Like, like how storytelling around this network um, and, and like I mean so much of what it, like in order for anything to happen you need to have like a story for it first mm-hmm. like we're, the, the Unity 2020 um, like thing that I'm like now a part of um, like for it to for it to like get the kind of traction that it needs to actually um, work, like there 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 needs to be a clear story around it, and like I think the story precedes the actual like adoption, like the actual like enthusiasm, and like once there's enthusiasm, then then there's a um, yeah, I mean then then you like you're just kind of off to the races, like there's just like this this uh, this uh, exponential growth of, of this like phenomenon. Um, and it's it's a difficult thing to like craft a like a, a really like sticky meme around because um, it's like has to do with dialectic and like holding tension and, and like respectful di- discourse and it's not or not respectful like like a, a like collaborative discourse and just like try to propose that as a political I- ideal like it's like yeah what are the issues like where do you stand on immigration. And just like, oh, that's an important question. Like, wouldn't it be nice if we had a process by which we could we could address that issue? Um, and anyways, that that um, just like the it seems like the story about the thing needs to like precede the the thing. Like that's maybe what the vision is. Is um, but you kind of need you don't want to need to like sort of be responsive and dialectical with like. Um, with the world, so you can't just like have a story absent the world. So you need to have the story, and let it loose, see what happens with it, and then like retell the story that comes yeah. back. Um, anyways, that third autocracy is like the storytelling. Yeah. 
class. Or you take the narrative that's already in place and you use it, which is that the system is broken. I mean, that's exactly mm-hmm. how Trump got elected, is he promised to be an outsider to a system that everybody agrees is broken. And so the idea was to bring in someone who is not part of this already broken system and that, that was somehow rebooted. So, I mean, that's, the narrative's already in place as to what the problem is, so it's just offering a solution. But anyway, um, I tying in with that, though, is like those three branches that he was talking about very much if I understood, is he's talking about this idea of a chieftain, a priest, and a matriarch. Mm. And that, if I understand correctly, the narrative piece belongs to the matriarch. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, I'm sorry, the priest. priest. Um, you know, so he's tying that, like, those ideas are being tied back into these very sort of ancient roles. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, I found that really interesting, um, and now I have to read the book because I don't really know the details of how he flushes that out based on the lectures. I heard him describe, like, I don't know if you, anybody else saw this one too, where he's talking about actually, like, kind of instantiating an example of, I'm assuming where he got his own anthropology from, from, like, observing regular tribes, but his claim is, like, what Liz was just describing, you have those elements where it's like, so the tribe goes out and they, they're working and they're doing war or whatever they're doing during the day, and then at night they come back and that's when the story gets told, just like people watch the news at night still today. I guess all day now because everybody's unemployed, but whatever. It's like, <laughs> so what happens if the tribe needs to move? They need a story in order to get the people to fucking move, otherwise they're just going to sit there. They don't want to have to do anything that mm-hmm. you know, they don't really need to do. So like the matriarch and the patriarch get together and decide what needs to be done. And the priest has to figure out, like, look, you can say whatever you want to them, but they need to move. We all need to move tomorrow. So get them to move. Tell them a story that's going to, like... Again, it's like your life's... In, and, like, the 20... The Unity Party, actually, I heard Brett and Eric Weinstein talking about it, and it's like, they're already spinning this narrative of, like, this is what's required in order to, like, keep the Republic from collapsing. So if you're interested in that, you need to get on board. And, like, they're kind of doing that already. Mm-hmm trying to get people involved that way of like you need and again because they need people to act it's not just about like you know consume something else or vote for whatever it's sort of like in order for this to actually work you need to move to do something mm-hmm. but anyway i found that like really interesting that whole actual chronology of it too that like story times at night when everybody's sitting around the fire and then like it needs to motivate them to do something the next day yeah and like how Speaking of moving, yeah, we have to move. <laughs> Actually, sorry to interrupt your point. You're welcome to stay and keep talking, but Jackie and I have to get back by 9.30. All right. Babysitter. I'm just going to smell. Take one for the road. Jackie. Sorry, Fern. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, never mind. <laughs> I was going to ask if we could maybe bring it. This is where I listen to the rest of it on the <laughs> Yeah, it's probably let us meet you. Good place to wrap Thanks it up. But we have two indoor cats. And if, uh, if you send out a text on whatever we're talking about next time, maybe be explicit about that. Like this is the one because I got a little confused this week about it. Sure. Okay. Well, even if you use Discord, specify that there's a lot of information. Oh, she's very Okay. Okay. Bye, Jonathan. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Thank you.
See you guys. That was Bye a great y'all. conversation. Yeah, it was awesome. Bye, buyers.